Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves. I am still on the road, and I am still joined by my tag team partner, the fighting Irishman himself, Kevin Patrick. KP, you're back home. What's on your mind this week? Bud, we had Raw in Atlanta. Quick 20-minute drive for me. I know you didn't get much sleep, but you got a bit of a Peter Pan going on here. You're down in Fort Lauderdale soaking in the sun. How's it been? That's the plan. I haven't been to the beach just yet. Got in yesterday. I honestly spent most of my afternoon sleeping on the couch, catching up from the night before. But today, it's uh, full speed ahead. Got some fishing planned with the family. Got a whole bunch of activities lined up. Trying to squeeze in a little family vacation before the kiddos head back to school. Are you a fisherman? Are you a fisherman? I I have been. I've been known to fish from time to time. When I lived in Florida, I did a lot of fishing. When I lived in Tampa, there's the, the big Skyway Bridge that they destroyed and it's basically now a fishing pier 24 hours a day you pay like eight bucks and you bring your equipment and you just fish right off the pier which is amazing uh since i moved back to pittsburgh i'm a little spoiled because i'm not going to catch anything impressive in a river so i'm like i don't know i don't want to i don't want to go catch a bass i want like a marlin so we're going deep sea fishing this time i haven't done that in quite a few years Big, massive tuna. And listen, if you need any help, you know, learning how to fillet it, stick it on the grill, cook it up. I know our guest today, pretty handy at that. You tell no lies. Of course, you're referring to Baron Corbin, a man who actually taught me most of what I know about grilling and smoking meats. So we'll dive into that, no doubt about it. Before we get to Baron Corbin, before we even get to Monday Night Raw, KP, I want to take it back to this past Friday night on SmackDown as we await the rules of engagement tonight on Friday Night SmackDown. Again, reminder, FS1 this week uh, because of the World Cup. Make sure you check out SmackDown on FS1. Last week, we saw Jey Uso stand alone in the center of the ring. And KP, it's no secret how I felt about Jey Uso for the last year plus, and basically since the inception of the bloodline, since the inception of main event Jey Uso, I sent out a tweet a few months ago about how for my money, in my opinion, and from my perspective, which we talk about often, always varies from person to person, but from Corey Gray's perspective, Jey Uso right now is one of, if not the most complete superstars in the game. Uh, I love that he's getting the opportunity to stand on his own two feet. Unfortunately, Jimmy out of the equation right now, but Jay had a, an opportunity to really come out of his shell Friday night. And for my money, Jay hit a grand slam, a walk-off. Uh, not only did he get to kick Paul Heyman in the face, that was fun for everybody, but the, the promo that Jay cut on SmackDown was so impassioned, so believable. But what stood out to me more than anything was for years, superstars have complained about being plagued by the infamous what chants from the WWE universe. You know, those chants. Stone Cold started to annoy Mr. McMahon and whomever else Stone Cold was verbally sparring with. But the fans love it. The fans have fun with it. But let's be honest. Sometimes it's a, it's a little much. When someone's out there trying to convey their thoughts and their feelings and their emotions, oftentimes in a, a soliloquy, to have every other word met with what? What, what it can wear on a superstar. However, from what I saw, what Jay was able to do was orchestrate the WWE universe and use those what chants to his advantage in such a way that I was truly blown away. I was impressed on a human being business level, like take character out of the equation, just going, this guy figured it out. And you have to give a little credit to Jimmy Uso. Because basically what the crowd was able to do was take the role of Jimmy Uso. 
Whereas infamously for years, Jay would say something and Jimmy would repeat it or Jimmy would finish the thought and vice versa. And that twin vibe was so cool and so unique to the Usos. It's almost like you unplug Jimmy from the equation and you let the fans jump in. And the fans were playing the role of Jimmy Uso while Jay spoke. And it worked so well and it had a nice rhythm to it and it wasn't disruptive. It added to the promo. And then when Jay got down to business, it was time for Jay to really spill his guts and get passionate and get loud and let his fire out. Crowd did what they were supposed to do. They stopped and they watched and they listened and they felt because it was Jay said, "Okay, come with me on this ride. Here we go. We're all on the train now. Remember, I'm driving. You don't know where we're going. All right, here we are. (laughs) And yes, we're here. It was great. And just the back and forth and the way he, he orchestrated, and I don't want to say manipulated because they were on, they, they were in on the joke, so to speak. I was just so blown away by Jay being able to get a, a money promo out with the what chance in a way that I don't know that we've seen since Stone Cold. What a fascinating perspective. Uh, and I never thought about it like that. And, and you're someone, Graves, so you've openly said it on this show. You've been down to the Performance Center and you've helped with some of the younger superstars and promo classes. How do you prepare for every eventuality like that? And I get it. Look, Jey Uso is so stupidly experienced and brilliant at what he does. And he knows this is most likely going to happen. But to be able to, and I think manipulate's a fair word, to manipulate the situation in his favor for them to play the role of Jimmy, as you so beautifully said, I mean, how do you plan for that? As a I don't know that he could. I, I think it more it might have been a happy accident because he's so used to speaking in that rhythmic manner, knowing I'm going to say this, Jimmy's going to say that, I'm going to do this, Jimmy's going to do that, vice versa, back and forth. So where he's comfortable and almost used to that. But again, the biggest takeaway was when it came time to do business, when the, the important stuff was coming out, not just the context, not just the setup, but when Jimmy started spitting fire, which he did, the crowd was glued to their seat and hanging on every syllable that came out of his mouth. And that is what is magical right now. And that is why I feel the way I do about Jay as a performer and why I cannot, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I cannot say I would bet against Jay Uso in a match against Roman Reigns. Not now. Beautiful. Two years ago, yes. Now, I don't know that I can do it. I'm not going to say I'm going to put money on Jay, but I'm certainly not going to put any money on the Tribal Chief for that collision. Bring on tonight. FS1, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific. And I know on Friday Night SmackDown, there's someone else standing out to you right now and standing out to millions around the world as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know you're talking about my guy, LA Knight. We had him here on the show a few few months ago. Absolutely brilliant to hear his thoughts. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, head back in the archives, give it a listen. But LA Knight to me, in his popularity, it's fascinating. I enjoy it. And you and I talk offline all the time, usually after the shows or during the day at Raw, about the, the theory and the magic of this business and the art form that it is. You know, that, that's where we live. And that's, that's what brings me pleasure nowadays. It's not so much a, a great it's match. It's, it's the why things work, the psychology of all of it. And I've been racking my brain because it's undeniable at this point that L.A. Knight is a wild fan favorite all around the globe. Money in the bank. Man, the roof almost came off the O2 when those first few notes, which I love his music. His music is some of my favorite in the the business right now. It's got that like old West Coast death row gangster rap vibe to it. (laughs) So much fun. But when L.A. comes out and L.A. Knight's been catching a lot of hell. I mean, listen, anybody who's listening to this podcast most likely has a a wrestling news site 
I'm being nice, that they follow online or they read their news from Twitter. And they're sort of fascinated with the behind the scenes, which I think all lends itself to LA's LA Knight star rising. He's kind of the guy who wasn't supposed to be where he is for all intents and purposes. But organically, the fans are saying, no, we want this. And the numbers on social media back it up. I mean, the, the, the interaction before SmackDown with him and Hit Row, I, I, forgive me if it was a week ago or two weeks ago, had, I mean, I think millions of hits and, and likes on all the social media platforms. I mean, LA Knight's popularity is legit. But I keep wondering to myself, because you have as many people love him, you have people coming out of the woodwork questioning why, oh, this guy's a, a ripoff. This guy's a copycat. This guy is... Uh, cosplaying as some of the greats. And that's what gives me pause because all of us in this business, I don't want to say all of us, but most of us who have dedicated our lives to getting here to the journey, speaking of the the guys who do the independence, or maybe even somebody who just showed up in the performance center, but always loved this. You're influenced by those who came before you to such a degree that LA Knight has been open. He says, yeah, I understand the, the cadence with which I speak may remind you of a Stone Cold or The Rock or, or insert name here, but we're all influenced by the greats, right? And it's not unique to the, the wrestling business. There's going to be a generation of, to use your examples, uh, football, soccer fans who grew up idolizing Messi. And if Messi does things a certain way, they're going to try to emulate that. And sometimes it's going to work. More often than not, it's going to fail, but, but you draw from what inspired you. In the year 2023, as we sit, in, if you look across pop culture, everything's a remake. Everything is nostalgia. Everything is something that was popular in the, the 90s or early 2000s, whether it be music or movies or fashion. Our generation are the tastemakers now. We're, we're the generation who generally have a little bit of expendable income. We have the money to, to buy tickets to a WWE event or buy a premium live event or merchandise. So we're catering to our own tastes. The superstars who were most popular during the formative years of our generation are The Rock, are Stone Cold, are these guys, Triple H, all of these people that we grew up loving and obsessed with. So you shouldn't be surprised if someone, I'm surprised it doesn't happen more frequently that somebody shows up on WWE TV and they go, oh my God, that guy reminds me so much of insert name here. I think the popular, and here's my, my dime store psychology here for, for the week. I think the reason LA Knight is so wildly popular right now amongst the WWE universe is because he grew up at the same time as many of these fans, most of the fans, the, the same age range, the tastemakers. Let's just try to clarify that. So I think a lot of the fans who are sitting in the WWE crowds, whether it be in Atlanta or Baltimore or London or in Saudi Arabia when we were over there, there many of them are of that age going, man, I kind of wanted to be a WWE superstar when I was young. I wanted to be just like The Rock. I wanted to be just like Stone Cold. So I don't think people look at it as a, as a ripoff by any means. I think people look at it as an influence, whereas a lot of 35, 40-year-olds who are maybe bringing their kids to the shows – are going, man, that guy's about my age, same wheelhouse. If I were a WWE superstar, that's how I'd be. It's not like, I think we in the wrestling bubble take such offense and we micromanage and, and tear things apart to such a degree, we're missing the forest for the trees. It's a shame. This is a, am I wrong? Uh, do you disagree? You're right. 
It's a shame. It's a shame that we do that. It's a shame that there's a negative connotation felt. If someone, if someone says, ah, oh, he's only a rock knockoff. Come on. That's not a bad thing. How is that a bad thing? Also, uh, if you're going to imitate somebody, why not the greatest of all time? <laughs> or find a hybrid with Stone Cold, because you're right. When he walks out and the way he walks and the way he delivers a promo, there's an awful lot of Stone Cold there too. There are so many, I, I, dare I say, every great that you love and hold dear and in the highest of regards throughout the history of this business have borrowed heavily or been influenced heavily by someone before them. Going all the way back to the original Gorgeous George. And if you follow the trail, you go from Gorgeous George to Nature Boy Buddy Rogers, who greatly inspired Nature Boy Ric Flair. Dusty Rhodes borrowed from Billy Graham. Ric Flair borrowed from superstar Billy Graham. Hulk Hogan borrowed from superstar Billy Graham. And Dusty Rhodes. I mean, the... the I don't even know the, the word I'm looking for, but the influences are across generations. So now we have a guy who is influenced heavily and, and doing it well. By, conditioned by. Conditioned. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. By the, a more recent generation, I get it. I, I think I understand it. And, and I could be way off base here, but that's just my little dime store speculation. I also think that it helps that our product right now is incredibly hot. So there is an awful lot of talk to flashbacks to the Attitude Era, right? You hear sure. it all the time with fans. I see it on Twitter all the time. Our product's amazing. It's something that I'll, I'll touch on where I was last night. And this was brought up last night as well. And I feel like when we're discussing certain superstars now, there, there are a lot of comparisons. So it's easy to throw LA Knight into that. There's the other thing too, that LA Knight has a very simple approach, right? When Paul Heyman walks out, he says, my name, and there's the pause, is, and the whole crowd get involved. Paul Heyman, right? Everybody's involved because you know it's coming. And when LA Knight delivers L, everybody wants to be involved in the show, right? You can't fault anybody. So it's a simple approach. It's an excellent delivery each and every time. He's wonderful on the microphone. We've got to get him on here again here soon, by the way. We had him on, you mentioned it a few months ago, but it's a different LA Knight now. You're right. He, he, he was sort of very, very early. I, I dare say he wasn't anywhere close to as red hot as he is right now. I'm curious to see. And I'd be willing to bet Keep this clip for when we get L.A. Knight back. I'm willing to bet he's not surprised at all. I'm willing to bet he goes, yeah, I've been trying to tell people for years this is what I was going to do, and I'm finally doing it. I think it's going to be awesome. What do you make, what do you make of the Twitter, Twitter buzz, though? It's brilliant, isn't it? Seeing him oh, in all like, shopping commercials. He's like, is he proposing to a girl? And what, like, it's just gold. It just goes to show you, this fella's working his ass off. Exactly. You know, to make something happen. It wasn't, I saw the, the, the trend a few, few days ago or last weekend. And I was like, Oh dear. Ordinarily when any of us are trending on a day that we don't have a TV show, it's not good. Let's be honest. Oh dear. What happened to poor <laughs> LA Knight? And I'm, and I'm entertained, but, but I think people that resonates with them. This is a guy who scratched and clawed and took crap roles because he wanted, it was all a means to an end. He's here. He's where he wanted to be. The only place he ever wanted to be. He is here now and he's on the cusp of great things. I'm excited. I believe. And I think, uh, I think the WWE universe is in for a fun ride as the months progress. Listen, more often than not, right. You get a golden opportunity and you're too young. You don't realize what you have. LA Knight now realizes what he has, right? He's worked his ass off to get to where he is. If it happened to him 15 years ago, who knows? Uh, but I, I would pretty, pretty sure bet that he wouldn't have grabbed it the way he's grabbed this opportunity right now. So kudos to LA Knight. And I want to also give a massive shout out to the new tag team champions, women's tag team champions, Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville, because on Monday Night Raw, 
They become champs. Their, their, their expression afterwards told its own story. They're working so well together, Gravy. And for me, I think a big secret sauce here has been Chelsea Green and what she's come in and tearing into Raw as a character. You and I talk about it all the time. If you can grab those minutes, make the most of them, make us feel something on the commentary desk, watching around the arena and the millions of folks around the world, they know exactly who Chelsea is. And Chelsea and Sonia are very different characters, yet they sure. somehow complement each other so brilliantly. And I'm delighted for them because I feel that Chelsea has elevated Sonia. And Sonia's always been someone who's grabbed that opportunity, both as a WWE official and in the ring as well. Sonia is stupidly talented, so good on the microphone, in-ring ability, exceptional. But for whatever reason, Chelsea's kind of sparked something in Sonia. And I think they're an irresistible duo right now. I'm having a lot of fun with those two. I about fell out of my chair just now, KP. Did you just give credit to Chelsea Green and Sonia Deville? It's about time. <laughs> but I, I agree with you, man. It's been a lot of fun. And you and I have talked even offline about how, how Chelsea really, she steals, she, she chews up the scenery. No matter where she is, she does little things and, and she's got that larger than life. And also back to the relatability, the same thing that makes LA Knight relatable to fans is the same thing that makes people despise uh, Chelsea Green, because everyone knows that woman. Everyone's met that woman, and you live vicariously hoping that someone shuts her up. Uh, but I think I think we could be in for a, a fun reign with them on top of the tag team division. And again, I've said it. We've talked about it a lot. We talked about it to Liv and Raquel. We had high hopes thinking Liv and Raquel were going to redefine the, the generation or the, the division, I should say. Uh, they tried. Luck didn't fall in their favor. Maybe Chelsea and Sonia are the duo that really elevate the titles and make them a, a valuable uh, addition to Monday Night Raw or SmackDown or wherever they choose to defend them. Yeah, and you know, the thing is, Chelsea, look, away from her character, there's a lot of similarities too when you meet her and not in a Karen sense. Are you saying the, that she's no, a really no, no, awful no, no, no. person off screen no, too? Not at all, not at all, not in that sense. I'll, I'll give you an example, right? So her husband's there. I'm at, I'm at Cody Rhodes, the premiere last night. We'll get into that now. And Chelsea's chatting with my wife and her husband, Matt Cardona comes back from the bar and he's, he's standing around and Chelsea says, did you get my drink? And he says, oh. And she looks at my wife and said, he had one job. <laughs> I just thought, I was like, that's brilliant. Right? The this genuine article. <laughs> and she's having fun with it. She's self-deprecating. And she's, she's an incredibly lovable personality that uh, I think you're either going to love her or hate her on screen as a WWE superstar, but I'm delighted for her as a person and Sonya Deville because they've worked hard for this. They get it. And Chelsea's all character-based. No one's talking about unpretty her. No one's talking about the moves in the ring. But they're talking about what Chelsea Green does for you in terms of how you feel about her when you watch her. And that kind of, what's, what, what way would you describe her other than Karen? I don't know because it's such a perfect descriptor. It's succinct. It's accurate. You know exactly what you're thinking of when you say that. I, I think it's, it's unfair. And our apologies to everyone named Karen roaming the earth and having to deal with that adversity. Day after day, uh, where your name inspires negative feelings off the top of your head. But before we, I know you wanted excited to talk about Cody. We're going to get there in a second. But I happen to know that you had a very special guest this past Monday in Atlanta who uh, sat through and experienced her first live Monday Night Raw. Yeah, my beautiful wife Meg was in attendance with some friends, and she had a ball, man. She had so much fun. Sure, her sister Leah was there, and they came backstage afterwards. You had a chance to meet them and and, and say hi, and and they just had so much fun. I asked her, "What was your favorite part of the show?" And she said, "Aside from the fact that I thought Gunther was going to squash you," she said, uh, "Otis, 
I'm, wait, that I'm was her favorite. Wait, wait. I don't want. I don't want to gloss over the fact she's excited about Otis. Good. But she, her favorite part was she thought Gunther was going to squash you. She's like, she's she's looking at Gunther standing on my notes, right? And she's like, because <laughs> I tell her everything. We talk about everything, and she's like, oh, look, look. Look, those big shoes are all over his notes. What if he needs his notes? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and then she said Otis. She said Otis for me is so funny. She she dove into the, the Viking rules match. Um, and, and her and her friends, even there were some Insta stories and I was listening to the reactions. And it's just a lovely reminder that this is a buffet. As you always say, you know, there's certain people out there that want that technical wrestling. But there's others that love a Viking rules match where this Vikings been thrown about the place. And we had legend Titus O'Neill join us on commentary who had so much fun throughout that moment. It's that reminder, isn't it, that the likes of Meg who watches it every now and then jumps in and out of WWE storylines, finds Otis and Chad Gable and Maxine Dupree absolutely brilliant and entertaining. Well, speaking of Maxine, I know what a big fan you've been recently. Again, we had her on this podcast a few weeks ago. Absolutely brilliant interview. Uh, how cool is it? Almost immediately after we had her on the show, uh, the Alpha Academy starts taking, I'm not taking credit for it, it's just sort of the happenstance. Alpha Academy starts to gel. Uh, she's no longer the issue that divides Otis and Gable. She unites them. And how funny is it, just from an objective perspective, that what we're seeing from Maxine Dupree on Monday Night Raw is that she's not really good at wrestling. <laughs> and the fans are going, come on, get better. We believe in you. It's so backwards compared to everything else that, you know, people love and, and they like to pick things apart. And technically, this was amazing. And technically, this, that, and the other thing. Here's a woman being open going, I'm really, really new at this. I'm still not very good at it. Uh, I got some good teachers. And the people go, it's all right. It's okay. We believe in you. What a wild situation in, in this day and age. I love it. Do you know what? I'd say there's a lot of people who have a hell of a lot more wrestling experience than Maxine Dupree who've never been speared through a table. So fair play True. to Maxine, spear True. through the table by Valhalla. One more thing, because I, you're. This is one of those conversations that could just go all day. I'm all, I'm all wound up and well caffeinated. The sun's beaming in through the condo. I feel great. Me too, baby. How about that damn German suplex from Chad Gable onto Ivar, who was basically on his all fours, if not flatter? Chad Gable might not be human. Somehow we forget. We we talk about it. The guy's an Olympic gold medalist. The guy's a multi-time tag champion. He's an unbelievable technician in the ring. But I defy anybody to show another human being that clip of Gable with the German suplex, a deadlift German suplex on Ivar, who likes to claim near 300. Let's be perfectly honest. He exceeds that by several LBs. And Gable got the German suplex like it was nothing. It was absolutely mind-blowing. More Viking rules matches, please. When we were sitting in the meeting early in the day, I'm thinking, this is going to be a mess. This is going to be a disaster. This is going to be one of those segments we don't talk about anymore. Man, how they proved us wrong. That was fun. But they always do. The Alpha Academy always deliver. Gable always delivers. Otis always delivers. Maxine on board now, too. Every time they're out there, I know it's going to be a successful segment because they make sure of that. Listen, speaking of successful, last night I got a chance here in Atlanta, Georgia to head to the premiere of uh, The American Nightmare, Becoming Cody Rhodes, right? It's out on Peacock, July 31st. It did not disappoint, Gravy. The overall night in general was phenomenal, but the, 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 the show itself, which you played a big role in, by the way, and you were outstanding in it, a lot of your commentary throughout, but then your thoughts backstage in WWE. I just, I was so captured. I cried probably 15 times. And I'm a fella who cries during commercials on TV these days. But like, genuinely, I found myself like welling up an awful lot because 
it's a story of 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 heartache. It's it's a story of adversity coming through. It's a story of love and and, and leaning on the likes of Brandy. And I thought it really showed and showcased how strong Brandy Rhodes is as a partner for Cody throughout these really difficult times. And one of the more interesting aspects of it for me was when Cody left WWE and then, you know, it's well documented, did what he did. Over 10,000 fans, you know, we're going to put together this show and we want you to show up. And over 10,000 fans in Chicago to show up um, was outstanding. But, But the fact that Triple H, Undertaker, Hulk Hogan, these legendary names, Hall of Famers speaking in this documentary about how Cody backed himself. And it was so stupidly motivating. I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, if this doesn't get you motivated, there's something wrong with you. And Cody afterwards, you know, he had a chance to sit and, and, and chat with Sam Roberts. And he spoke an awful lot about that. And there was one part that really stood out to me. It's that Sam asked him about The Undertaker and about Hulk Hogan speaking about him in that way. And his response was very different than what I expected. Cody said, well, we've all been marking out about them and their eras forever, right? So it's a good thing that they're speaking about what we're doing now. And he spoke about what we're doing now is so special and it's electric and it's on fire and it's the healthiest the industry's ever been. So these guys that we've been, and he said, marking out over all these years and generations, yeah, they should do the same for us. And I love that take. No doubt. I mean, Cody believes in himself as much as anybody, and it's hard not to believe in Cody if you're not Cody. It's it's a fun time in the business. It's a fun time to, to be a fan. It's a fun time to be inside the business. It continues to grow. It continues to get red hot. We've got SummerSlam right around the corner. It's no doubt going to be enormous where the aforementioned American Nightmare will go head-to-head one more time with the Beast Incarnate Brock Lesnar in one of the main events of SummerSlam. I cannot wait to see how it unfolds. So much fun watching Raw, so much fun watching SmackDown, and so much fun watching NXT. I intended on waxing poetic and gushing about the new NXT North American champion, Dirty Dom, bringing some gold to the Judgment Day, but we're going to have to put a pin in that. We'll talk about it next week because at this time, it is my pleasure and honor to introduce a man who's a free agent, but you have seen his face most recently on Tuesday nights as a member of the black and gold brand. He is none other than Baron Corbin. Baron, welcome back to ATB. As you know here, we're chatting all things Raw, SmackDown, and NXT, which is where the WWE Universe has seen you most recently. You're in the midst of a bit of a change, and I figured this would be a great platform as any for you to let the WWE Universe know what it is that you are up to these days. Um, I mean, these days you've seen it. Uh, I have been a free agent for a little bit now, so I've had the opportunity to go to a few different brands. I, you know, I did a, a couple of Raw episodes, a couple of SmackDown, and then was asked about an opportunity to go to NXT, and I saw that as um, a place where I could make some changes in myself and my career, and uh, that was the plan going in, and I think it's been a successful uh execution of that plan so far i got down there with you know hbk uh, who is uh, you know obviously one of the greatest of all times but he he also has this unbelievable mind and how to do it and then he's also doing what uh, i love most is he's kind of hands off he is letting me do me in a sense and then sculpting what i bring to him versus handing me hey this is what we're doing uh this is where you're going uh, this is who we want you to be he's going hey man you've been around the block. 
what do you want to do? Where do you want to take this? Uh, you know, what can we do for you in a sense of, uh, creative outlets and opportunities. And he's letting me kind of take the ball and run with it a little bit. And then, uh, obviously Russo who's the, the head writer down there is unbelievable at his job and unbelievable at what he does. And I can bring him a promo that I write or how I feel about a situation or an idea. And he, um, you know, puts his mind to it and, and adds that magic touch of television of entertainment because, you know, you ask a lot of us, Hey, what do you want to do? I just want to beat everybody up and be world champion. Like that's the answer you get from a lot of people, but I'm going, no, I want to, I want to make myself real. I want to make, uh, everything I do, who I am and what I'm about. And he's like, all right, so what is that? And we had long conversations and, you know, he came up with this idea with these vignettes and, um, it's, it's given me an opportunity to, to tap into myself and my creativity. We talk a lot in this business about doing what you have to do until you can do what you want to do. And, and I don't know that there's a better example in WWE right now than you. And you just sort of referenced it, how you were handed these opportunities. And, and you also the fact that you use the word opportunity. You weren't tasked with something. You were given an opportunity. And you're a guy who, whether it be as Constable, whether it be as the Lone Wolf, whether it be as bum-ass Corbin, you take these as opportunities and you maximize them. How how did you develop that mindset? Because that's not something that is necessarily prevalent in the business. A lot of guys, to your point, want to do what they want to do. They see themselves a certain way. How have you been able to adapt and, and transition from role to role, which are completely different ends of the spectrum, but yet you've always sort of managed to make it work or at least keep it afloat? Um, I think a few things. One, I think pride. Um, I'm a grown-ass man and I take pride in everything I do. Um, so if I'm going to do something, I'm going to put everything I have into it. Um, another thing is adaptability in a sense, you know, playing football coming up through college, there was a, you know, I was playing left tackle and there was a spot that opened up at left guard. And that was an opportunity. I'd never played left guard before I stepped in there. And, uh, then I loved that position more than I enjoyed playing tackle because I was getting to pull, uh, on 42 power and outside zones and things like that and just rip people's head off. And that was amazing to get that feeling from a different position, the ability to just ear hole a dude so bad he doesn't get up, uh, his helmet's laying three feet from him, his mouthpiece is the other direction and his coach is screaming at me because I just knocked out his bestie lineman. Um, so I took pride in that. I think that was the first time where I had to kind of switch and play a position or a role that I wasn't prepared to do or that I didn't want to do. You know, I wanted to be a left tackle. That's the money spot. That's the, uh, big contracts. That's the important role. And, um, then I came to WWE and I had a lot of conversations with John Cena and he's a guy that will give you the truth no matter what. Right. Uh, there's few people in this business who will do that. And John will tell you that sucked. You're not good enough for that. That wasn't great. Or that was awesome. That was a great job. But he was a guy who, um, I have conversations, uh, at length in the gym when I was coming up a little bit and getting on the main roster. Uh, two things that he's really preached on me, uh, is always think about what's next. Where do you go after this show tomorrow? And a lot of guys don't do that. Um, like when I had the match with him at SummerSlam, he's like, think about Monday night. We're going to do what we do at SummerSlam, but what are you doing Monday night? So always have a few steps ahead. So I always try to think of that. But then the other thing um, that really stuck with me that John has preached, which I think has helped my career immensely, is that how do you take what you're given and make it the absolute best you can? And that process he goes through when he's handed a promo. Okay, I see what you want. 
and you want this exactly like this, okay, how do I make it the best I can absolutely make it? And it's kind of one of those things you see a challenge in it. We all get promos. We all get opportunities. We all get things that we may or may not want to do. Um, how do I make it stand out? How do I make it amazing? How do I take this and turn it into gold? And I think Sad Corbin is the prime example of that. Um, when Vince tasked me with that, um, I saw it as an opportunity to change, show character work, and um, just add another level to my body of work. And it was only supposed to be like a two-week thing, and it ended up running for months because I went all in. Um, you know, I tell the story, I think I've told it a few times, where you know, he's like, don't cut your hair, don't cut your beard. And I was like, Vince, I'm going to look terrible. And he's like, that's the point. And <laughs> we're, we're three months in and I look legit homeless. My beard is awful. And I'm visiting private schools for my daughter. Like, I have to apologize. Like, you know, I got a nice shirt on and jacket. And my beard looks like I just came out of the woods. Um, you know, and a terrible, uh, like, I don't even know who, who to name my hair after there, but it wasn't a good look. And going into these schools and go, I apologize for how I look. This is my job. And they're just looking at you confused, you know. Um, they're used to people pulling up in Range Rovers in a suit telling you how great their kid is. And I'm going, I know, I look horrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's just, I think that's the mindset, you know, John kind of talked and told me about that he did. And you look at his career and look at what he's done. He's had to do all kinds of crazy things. And the same with Triple H. Triple H is um, you know, been handed some crazy things throughout his career and has turned him into magic. I mean, a slot match, you know, wrestling and mud, mud and pig crap, pig crap. And he turned it into something entertaining and special and something that lives along. So a long time. So if you can do that, you get longevity in your career. You know, the plan wasn't to be here for three or four years. The plan was to spend the rest of my career and never work for another employer other than, than WWE. And it's clear and obvious that you take such pride in everything you do, but when you're handed a pitch, right, is there ever that trepidation? Is there ever that fear that no matter what I do here, this could devalue me? Like bum-ass Corbin, I'm sure you looked at this and thought, was there, was there a little bit of fear there at all? There's always that fear um, with everything you do. I mean, with what I'm doing now, I've abandoned everything and burned in the past, burned the ship's graves. We talked about it. You you gave me this this line and this mindset of burn the ships and, and explain to me what it meant. I mean, this is this is hats off to you because you you brought this to me and um, said it pertained to where I was at because we had conversations that were very real, not a part of this wrestling world, but very real as friends of what's next. What am I doing? Right. And, and, and not to betray the sanctity of our conversations, but I mean, let's be honest, you, you had the, the thing with JBL last time you were on this podcast, you were with JBL. So it was time to pivot. It was time to try something new. But what that was, it, it, you, it, you look concerned for the first time. It, yeah. Unsure, unsure. And, and as your friend, a guy who slept on your couch for however many months and years, I know you and I could see that you didn't have that same swagger, that confidence that I'm yeah. going to make something work. It was what do we do? And, and exactly. that mentality, that mentality is, is burn the ships. And I actually got that from a trainer that I had. Uh, he said it to me in the gym. He said, man, it's burn the ships. And I went, what does that mean? I don't know what it means. It sounds cool. And he explained that it's an old, you know, Viking lore. You, 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 there's no turning back. It's an, it's soldier forward, burn the ships, because if you don't succeed, you're not coming back off the island. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it is, there was a sense of panic there for me because everything I had done up until then had worked. Uh, you know, I, I'd made things work. I've had, I got one promo in my career where I was in the ring in the middle of it going, this is, there's nothing that is going to make this good. There's, we're not saving it. It was a segment with multiple people. Um, and I felt the crowd just going, dude, 
Like, this is not good. And you feel it in your gut. And then, you know, when we got to the end of the JBL stuff, we were trying to make it work. It just, I think there were a few things that went against us. Um, you know, opportunity, timing, a, a few other things. And you could feel it. I felt like I was just in that movie, like where they're stuck out in the ocean, just waiting to get eaten by sharks. I was drowning in a sense. And that's where we had that conversation. And it was like, okay, well, what do we do? And then that's when this NXT opportunity came up. And I was like, hell yes. Like, let's go, let's go down there and do this. And it's been a lot of fun, man, because I got to come in the door, you know, and run with Carmelo for a little bit. And we had that lone wolf entrance and that was special, man. Like you could feel the energy in the building when that music hit and the, had the jean vest on and it was a little nostalgia. And I mean, social media numbers were off the charts on that. It was just an entrance. And then we had one hell of a match. I mean, Melo is a special competitor in there. I think he's going to have a, a bright career, but that was a match where I think, it had been a while since I've gotten to just go like, you know, Rollins and I have had some, some amazing matches, Roman and I, Braun, uh, you know, Kurt, I've had these long, long matches with guys who are extremely talented, Kevin Owens, Sammy. Um, it had been a minute since I'd had that opportunity. And I think we tore it down and I re, uh, ignited a little bit of fire in my gut that says, I'm going to shove this down everybody's face that kind of doubted me over the last year or, um, you know, who said, negative things in a sense uh inside our world and outside our world it was a, an opportunity to go out there and and go man no i can hang with the best there is i can go with anybody i can run 30 minutes with seth i can run 30 minutes with roman i can run 30 minutes with mellow down in nxt it doesn't matter um when when that uh bell rings i can go in the ring so now it was getting that attitude to match that in-ring ability and the emotion because the emotion is back full throttle right now you know it, it reignited something in my gut to you know burn the ships man let's take this mother down isn't it wild how it all came full circle and he yeah, was the jumping off point as, as somebody who came through as raw as a, as a lump of clay into the wwe system back in the days of fcw and you had that mentality then. And we, we, we've told this story, you and I, on this podcast about you, you, football, yeah. Tom. Oh, and you went, okay, I'll show you. And, and you showed up and you and you had a run, a, a full-blown, genuine run. And not, not a cup of coffee in the big times. An actual, long, significant, successful run. And now here you are, back at NXT where it all began. And the fire is growing again. Now you have a whole new yeah. career to draw from. Uh, what was it like walking into the, to the locker room now in NXT, seeing a whole new set of faces. And whereas you're the, the elder statesman who's had a bit of success and a bunch of guys now just trying look, waiting for their opportunity. It was nostalgic in a sense. Cause it's funny. Cause when I got out of there, man, you know, better than anybody, uh, I was losing my mind at the end of the time there at NXT. And I said, I'm getting out of this place and I will never, ever, ever come back. Like I'm out, dude. I had an apartment in Orlando that I shut the door, locked it and left. I didn't even take my, I was like, ah, clothes are staying, couches are staying, everything's staying there. Cause I had like seven or eight months left on the lease. I moved to Tampa. Um, I don't even think I cleaned out my locker in the NXT locker room. I was like, they were like, Hey, you're up. I'm going, I'm out, dude. <laughs> Gone. Never again. I've been on the main roster a little over eight years now. So, so it's been eight wow. years since I really wow. had to go back in. Uh, July was 11 years for me, which is crazy. But I kind of got that, like being in that building and seeing some of those uh, guys that are there, it's no different than when we were there. Some guys want it, some guys don't. And, and we'll find out quickly who they are. But you get in there and you see those guys who are hungry and you're going, yeah, man, I remember this feeling. Like people look at it sometimes 
especially in our social media world, they're like, oh, Corbin got downgraded to NXT. Hell no, I did not. Like I, I did choose to go there. Like I could have said, no, I, I'm not. I want to stay on SmackDown. And I could be in the middle doing nothing. Still as uh, happy Corbin music and, you know, going out there and just competing in the middle where it's easy to do and it's comfortable. But I want to go back and restart because you're around those guys and you feel that hunger. You feel uh, the drive they have and it makes you want to, me, it makes me want to bury them all in a sense. Like you can't hang with the big boys. I'm one of the big boys and I'm going to show each and every one of you, you're not on my level. You know, I was going there training with Fitz class a couple of times and you know, you, you start doing something and Fitz stops the class and goes, this is the difference. Watch the difference. This is a guy who's on the main roster. This is main roster talent. This is main roster emotion, aggression. And you want to separate yourself from them and make doubters out of them, if you will, a few of them. I wanted, um, you know, Carmelo, when I got in, into the ring with him, I wanted him to go, man, do I have it to, the ability to, you know, hang on the main roster? Do I have the ability to be a, a major WWE superstar? So for me, I'm taking their hunger and using it for myself, but I'm also using it against them. I'm, I'm going, hey, man, this is a level. Step up or, or kick rocks. Love, love the fact that you seem so rejuvenated and refreshed right yeah, now. Barry. It feels good. Yeah, and I'm sure it percolates throughout your family, even your wife and your demeanor. And, and, and how important is confidence for a WWE superstar and that self-belief that when you head into that ring, whether it's on the microphone or, or in a match, that you're feeling good about yourself and your character? I mean, it's everything. We are an entertainment company and our job is to portray characters sometimes that are not necessarily ours, i.e. Happy Corbin, uh, Constable Corbin. Uh, I mean, you took me from a motorcycle badass to a corporate and I had to switch modes and you have to find that in you and you have to make it believable. Um, and the talented ones can do that. I think that's why I did a good job with those. I made those characters believable. I made what I did in the ring and during that entrance and backstage believable. And people bought in. They hated me for it, but they bought in. Um, so you got to have confidence no matter what you're doing. But when you get to do it, um, when it's kind of coming out of your brain and you're working with somebody and you're sitting down in a room – Again, instead of just being handed a piece of paper, here's what we're going to say today. It's, what do you want to say? What do you feel? Why do you want to say that? And you put it into your words, and it draws that true emotion from the gut. You're no longer acting. You're, you're out there being as real as it is. And I think anybody who's had the success that I've had or uh, the success of a professional athlete or a uh, WWE superstar already has that confidence, that swagger to walk out. Um, it's taking all of the things you're tasked to do and making that believable. But when it's your own stuff, you don't have to work to make it believable because it is raw as it can be. It is true emotion. There's promos I cut with Mello uh, before the title match. Those are that's raw emotion. That's how I truly feel. I feel that that people have forgotten who paved the way for NXT superstars like myself. Uh, you know, Seth Rollins, Bray Wyatt, Shinsuke, Finn, Kevin, like those are the OGs. Those are the guys who sold out Brooklyn, Tyler Breeze, uh, you know, wrestling, wrestling Liger in Brooklyn, that 16,500 people, that's the OG NXT. And I think that got lost somewhere in the middle where these guys started coming in and saying, Oh, you know, it, it's like a guy getting drafted to my chiefs because they're the best team in the NFL and saying, I'm a Super Bowl 
caliber player now. No, you're not. The team that was there the last year that won the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl team. You got drafted to a Super Bowl team. Now it is your job to step up to that level. And that's what I'm trying to challenge some of these NXT guys. They're they're drafted to a championship team. I love that analogy. That's a great analogy. They need to step up to the bar. They didn't do anything. They haven't earned anything yet. And you know, people want to say different generations. I mean, Chomp is a, an incredible guy. They want to attribute stuff to like Champa and those guys as making NXT what it is. It, it, it was already there. Their job was to keep it there or raise the bar. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to do a bash in, in Texas soon. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the NXT traveling, you know, in a sense, PLEs are like now, because I know what they were when we were doing, them. you know, when we were doing shows in Texas, Seattle, I mean, everywhere. I know what level we made NXT and um, it's disrespectful if they're not at least achieving that and calling themselves superstars because they were handed uh, the keys to a Ferrari. Now they got to learn how to drive it. I love it. I absolutely love it. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Who uh, up and down the NXT roster has caught your eye? Who are you looking forward to mixing up with in the near future? The The two main guys that, that caught my eye out the gate were, were um, I've already been in the ring with was Ilya. I think he's a special, special competitor. He is physical. I mean, him and I beat the crap out of each other and it felt good. Like it's good to lace somebody across the face or, uh, you know, a good solid forearm to the jugular or, or slamming them down as hard as you can. And you see them kind of half smile in pain. Uh, there's something to that. There's a grit and that elevates everybody to get in there and get with a, a guy who is ready to go to war. And Ilya is one of those competitors. He is special. Um, he is confident. Uh, we talked about confidence. He bleeds it, man. He has a special in-ring ability and he can gather sympathy and he is aggressive and he's violent. And I love it. And then Mello, I think, is another special competitor. Um, he's finding himself extremely well down there. He has that, that, that talk, that, uh, that swagger. And then he's, you know, he's smooth in the ring, man. Uh, I beat the crap out of him. I put him, uh, you know, through the ringer and he survived and he came out on top and that was awesome for him. And I think that's a notch in his belt. Um, he looked great in there against Finn Balor on Monday night raw. The kid has, has talent. I think Braun Breaker is another guy who's just, uh, money waiting to be made. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the dude is just rough and, uh, no regard for anybody but himself, which is great because you need that. And that's where I'm taking myself. I'm back to like, I played the game, man. I'm over it. I'm over being people. I'm not, um, I'm over, uh, the internet going, Oh man, he's a safe, solid, trustworthy, dependable guy. That's why he gets these things. And it's, we're not going there anymore, man. My, my goal is to rip people's heads off. And I think that's what he walks into the ring, uh, wanting to do as well. Um, and you gotta have that. I'm going to start being really selfish and uh, taking what's mine because I, I don't know how long I have left doing this. Like I said, we're at 11 years. If I can get to 15, I think that'd be amazing. And if all 15 are in WWE, that would be even better. Um, so I think it's time to be a little selfish to take what's mine, to get back in that main event picture. And, you know, I said it in the promo last night, uh, you know, there was a nice F bomb in there, but you can save your opinions because I'm no longer concerned with them. And that applies to everybody in the locker room, everybody on social media, everybody who thinks they can, uh, write my story or tell me what to do. Uh, they can, they can stick those opinions where the sun doesn't shine. I'm, I'm here to, to end my career, um, over the next few years, uh, on top. I mean, that's where I want to be. Look at Roman Reigns. I mean, what Roman has done, um, these last three years, few years is unbelievable. And it's because I think he was like, 
tired of being the guy everybody wants me to be. I'm going to do me. And it became very real and very raw. And that's where I'm at. Live by the sword, die by the sword. Um, I'm either going to make it to the top or I'm going to go out swinging. And I don't know which one it'll be, but uh, the plan is to go out on top for sure. Burn the ships, baby. You talked about everyone on social media. Does that include the chef reactions guy? on? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that definitely uh, pertains to him. Uh, Him dishing on my food. I mean, that's what I am, dude. Like we talk about, uh, I'm just going to do me. I'm a whiskey, tequila drinking, cigar smoking, meat cooking uh, chef who really doesn't care. And he came in, stuck his nose in my business. I think he's a wrestling fan and, and he wanted to call me out. And uh, I don't think he expected a rebuttal. And then he got one and it's become <laughs> something. Um, and, you know, having to do NXT, I'm getting a lot of time at home. So I got to, I've been having to do some, some fun videos where I, even that one where I dressed up and wore glasses like him, like that just popped me. It entertained me. Um, I'm going to entertain myself and that involves taking some people down. And he's one of those guys. Uh, I think he said he's coming to SummerSlam. So uh, hopefully I'm there and I can uh, maybe I'll slam him through a catering table and let him know, you know, not only is this my world, but the food world's mine, too, buddy. You're out. (laughs) I think that would be pretty funny to have an Instagram video of me putting him through a table and shoving a croissant in his mouth. I don't know where he's from, but I'm sure it's garbage. (laughs) And you never see him cook. Like who calls himself a chef? And they've never cooked a day in life on, on social media. I think that's pretty funny. So. I, I love it. I I was on uh, social media or on Instagram a few months ago, and I posted a video. You know, I have a smoker, and one of our fans, as they often do, need to stir up trouble and try to cause dissension wherever there can be. And this guy's like, "Oh, that looks good, but you're no Corbin." And I, I disarmed him because I said, "Corbin actually taught me most of what I know about grilling and smoking <laughs> meats." And the guy just he, he didn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. Like, Oh, idiots. Yeah. And then he actually, I think the same guy replied back. He goes, you should do like a WWE charity grilling event. And I was like, that might have some legs to it. The ATB for cook-off, sure. man. For sure it would. Uh, there we go. Yeah. It's funny. Everybody's got an opinion. Like I'll get, you know, I'll cook these steaks that are absolutely perfect. And I'll come in. They'll be like, uh, you know, some juices there. You got to let it rest. I'm like, you idiot. Do you, were you at my house? Do you know I let it rest for like <laughs> 15 minutes. My steaks are just that juicy, bro. When you cut it, it's going to come out. I don't know how dry your steaks are that you wait 20 minutes and there's nothing coming out. I don't know what you're doing wrong, bud. Um, but that's a funny thing, especially in the food world. Everybody thinks they know something because they watched, you know, chopped one time or something. They, uh, they're like, Oh no, man, you got to do it like this. No, shut up. Like food, food is an same thing as what we do too. Like, you know, no matter what it is, with this with this burn the ships run that I'm going to make, and and when I become world champion, all of those things. But somebody's going to have a problem with something. They always do. It's the same as these vignettes that have run the last three weeks on WWE. I mean, uh, that's that's me and Johnny putting our heads together, and the unbelievable team at NXT who who shoots it and makes it epic, and then the guys who edit it put sound to it. Um, everybody's got something to say. They'll say, "Oh well," like the one last night. They're like, "Well, one Corbin was." an inch taller than the other one. Well, cause I'm standing on different parts of the ground. You idiot. Like I just don't <laughs> Leave understand the computer room. Yeah, dude, like get a life. Like I just don't have that kind of time to dissect everything like WWE fans do. And these internet chefs and these food people, they're like the most meticulous. Oh, there was one grain of salt too many on that. Thing. Shut <laughs> up. Like this is all an expression to what we do. Um, and it's our way of doing it. That's what same with food, man. When I cook food, it's how I want it. 
or it's how I want my friends to taste what I'm cooking. You know, I made uh, some scallops and avocado cream for the the wife and her mother there, and it was awesome. And I'm sure someone was like, "Well, the the color of the sauce was not green enough," and it's like, "Dude, did you taste it? That was incredible." Every, <laughs> but it's just some people are so miserable in their own lives. That's all they have, and I I couldn't imagine. I got too much stuff going on. You know, there's a saying that you know dogs don't bark at parked cars when you're moving people are, are coming at you um and i just don't have time for it there's plenty of bands i don't like out there there's a lot of music i don't like i don't go to their instagram page and tell them they suck right <laughs> that's a i just way. don't that's, have the time to text taylor swift on her instagram and go well you hit the wrong note in that one song that's why i don't listen to you i got better to do come on i just don't understand it but some people don't man some people just they don't that's what they want to try to drag people down because they're miserable in their own existence and and you'll see it i'm going to tear this run up um whether it's an nxt back on raw back on smackdown being a free agent i have the ability to go i'm going to tear it down with this this is going to be a whole new level a whole new level of emotion physicality brutality all of that but then you're just going to get the real me dude like a lot of people i think you know, I've irritated my whole people or my whole career. A lot of people are like, man, he just seems like a cool ass dude off, off TV. I'd want to hang out with this guy. I want, I mean, you've done it. We've hung out a million times. Uh, Kevin, you've never been invited. There's a reason for that, but <laughs> it is what it is. But, uh, but I think there'll be a lot of people that are going to see that in this run. Hey man, I don't want to fight him, but I want to hang out with him. I think that's going to be kind of the, the consensus with what we do with, with this. Love it. Love it. Well, I know you full well. I've spent plenty of time on your couch and I don't want to fight you. And I do like hanging out with you. I'm excited to see. I mean, we should fight one time. Just once. To get I agree. Around. Just, just, to I've say. had to drag you out of a couple of bars wanting to fight you, but um. <laughs> that's, that's for another day. That's for the podcast after we both get fired or retired. Yes. <laughs> yes. Speaking of people dragging each other down, look, I have to go back to Chef Reactions for just a second and a tweet that okay. was thrown out there. And we need to get your reaction to this tweet. Uh, Chef Reactions saying, I'll be at SummerSlam in Detroit this year. Shame that Baron Corbin will probably be watching from home because we all know they're not putting him on the card, especially after Pat McAfee lit his bum ass up last year. Your reaction, Baron? I mean, I think my reaction stays the same, where if I'm there, I'm going to put his ass through a table and shove a croissant in his mouth, maybe slap him with a couple tri-tips if they got some tri-tips at SummerSlam. I think that's a good weapon to swing or a tenderloin. Like, I don't think anybody's really ever been beat up by food, and I think that would be like, here's chef reaction, have some of that! How do you like this? (laughs) Shove, you know, some grapes up his nose. Yeah, I am I mean, if I'm there, dude, uh, and if I'm not, then I, I'm sitting in my big-ass house and I'm cooking some good food and I'm smoking a cigar and probably sipping on some uh, tequila he can't afford. So, you know, enjoy the show from the nosebleeds because I'm sure that's where you'll be. Um, but if I am there, I'll make sure that, you know, they come find you. I'm sure uh, Chef Reactions is the name on your ticket, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I'll just say, like, look for, like, third to last row. There'll be a guy in a chef coat with a stupid hat on. Uh, bring him back here. I'm going to have a conversation, but nobody, nobody record this because, uh, you know, lawsuits and things. We'll, we'll see. We'll find out how Chef reacts to a big right hand coming his way from a Golden yeah. Gloves boxing chair. His, <laughs> his next few videos, he's going to be like this, and like this eye is going to be purple, and there's going to be <laughs> like remnants of a steak on. Like he's going to have like the steak grains ingrained in his face <laughs> that's gonna be his videos from now on i uh, cannot wait hey corbin we, we need your help here gravy's going deep sea fishing today he is well yeah what's your tips for gravy dude you're like two hours come up here catch the fish 
I'll descale it, fillet it. We'll cook it. We'll put some basil oil on. Get us a good red snapper. We'll do some basil oil, uh, a little cream on that bad boy. Soft throw it on the grill. What? You're still not invited, bud. <laughs> but, hell of an idea. Yeah, dude. You're only a couple hours away. I know. The kids. I, know. I might have to. My do four that. year old is out of control. She needs someone to play with or beat her up. One of the two. <laughs> her attitude is next level right now. I told her the other night. This is how I'm raising my kids to be, you know, little badasses. Of course, uh, one of her boxing gloves is right here on the floor. Look at this. Oy. I'm training her, getting getting them hands Aww. quick already. We got boxing gloves. We got mitts. Uh, um, she's going to be able to scrap. The other day, I was, she was doing something wrong. And I said, you need to go to your room. And she didn't listen. She said, no. And I said, so get to your room. And she said, no. And if you tell me again, I'm going to smack you. And I was like, I don't even know what to do. <laughs> Part of you is just so ran proud. Me over. And you're so also proud. Like, also like, <laughs> I also think she would try to smack me. And then I'm at the elbow dropper. <laughs> She's tough, man. I'm, I'm training her to, to be a killer. I, I, I got it. I got it. What's that? Chef reactions versus Soul Corbin. Oh, oh. she would destroy him. <laughs> destroy him. She got a mean rear naked choke, and she throws a good right hand. There it is. Sometimes that's all you need, man. He's going to have a little black eye from her and a big one from me. You got to teach her one of those ring around the rosy things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's got it. She'll clothesline. She clotheslines her little sister all the time. <laughs> Corbin, where can everybody find you on social media? Baron Corbin WWE on everything. Even I got a, you know what? I was talked into a tickety talk and obviously I have a TikTok now. Uh, that's all food though. So if you come there and want to talk about wrestling, I'm going to block you. Where this, that's the food world. Instagram, you get a little bit of real life. You get a little bit of work. Uh, Twitter, I just like to completely destroy people, uh, who think they're funny. And if you catch Corbin on TikTok at the right time, you might see him doing like a dance to a Taylor Swift song or something. That will well. It depends how much tequila I've had. I was going to say that that will never happen. But I have in college been so drunk that I danced to that. Um, I, I dug my keys into the side of your jacked up to Ford or whatever. Who is that? Carrie Underwood. Yes. Yeah, I was completely embarrassed for that. <laughs> That's what it'll is, do. Is it is is Underwood drunk your equivalent of Amigo? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. That's another for story sure. for another day. <laughs> I think I got home missing a shoe and a shirt. I was in college. I walked. I don't know. They were like, yo, you were singing Carrie Underwood. I was like, I was not. How do I even know those words? It's a country bar. It whiskey happens. Girl and Truck. All country songs of Whiskey Girl and Truck. So just take your there pick. There you go. Hey, what's your bourbon of choice, by the way? An affordable bourbon? bourbon? If you're over the age of 21. What is it? Over the age. Of so I'm, I've been doing a lot of tequila lately, lately because uh, the bourbon world has gone mad. People just buy it and put it on their shelves and take Instagram pictures. And never uh, drink and make it. And, and they, oh, it infuriates me, dude. I want to light their house on fire. Like, what? <laughs> it's like buying a Ferrari and not driving it. Like, what are you doing? You're so stupid. Open the bottles and enjoy it. Um, so if you're on this watching and you're a, a bourbon hoarder, uh, or a reseller, um, I hate you with every bit of myself. I love uh, a lot of the Master Keeps Wild Turkey stuff. Those are always wins for me. Um, Four Roses, the special editions, are my top favorites. Uh, Midwinter's Dram, another incredible. Every bottle I have, except for one, is open. And the one I haven't opened is a Old Forester's Birthday Edition that is a 2019, which is my daughter's birth year. And she will get it when she turns probably 18. Who are we kidding? Whew. 
And it, and then I've got another bottle that is my other daughter's birth year. That those are the only two that are not open. I drink them. I drink my Pappy Twenties. I drink drink my yes, Pappy Twenty Five. Actually, I usually just give them to people. I usually go, <laughs> "Hey, have you ever tried this? Here, try this." Um, same with all the Blantons. I have every Blantons. I have the green, the red. I have special editions. I have straight from the barrel. And when people come over, that's when I give them. Like it, that's what it's for. Bourbon is for sharing, for enjoying. If you don't open it and it has dust on it, you deserve a swift kick in the face. But because of those holes, I've been moving into the tequila world too, man. The tequila um, uh, is amazing. There's a lot of really, really good tequilas out there that you drink straight. Uh, if you drink Clase Azul, we're not friends. Um, that's not a good tequila, just so you know. Uh, add in the free world, baby. No ice. Put it in a cup. Drink it like a man. There we go. Burn the ships. Love it. I need a cigar and a drink. Okay. Corbin, you know we appreciate you. Uh, you're always welcome here, man. I'm excited to see where burning the ships takes you, hopefully uh, to some more gold, and we'll have to crack some of that fantastic bourbon to celebrate. Ooh. Also, uh, when does this air? When is my beautiful face going to be on? Uh, Friday. Friday, Friday. I thought about giving a little teaser. We may have new music coming. We may. We may. All we'll right. Have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see what is in store for your ears when it pertains to Baron Corbin. And until then, make sure you're following us at After the Bell WWE on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find me at WWE Graves. You can find KP at Kev underscore Egan. Listen for free wherever you get your podcast. Just search After the Bell and hit the follow button so you never miss an episode. Full episodes of ATB are available on the official WWE YouTube channel each and every Monday. And we'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, and more WWE after the bell. What's vitriol? Vitriol, like anger, like angst, like fury. Uh, uh, uh.